right, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John. The book of John. All these lights as high as they can be. Are they as high as they can be? No, a little bit better. We a little bit better. Thank you. I appreciate it. John chapter 10. Why don't you put your thumb there? But before you, we go to John chapter 10, I want to go to Matthew chapter 7 as an introduction to John chapter 10. Matthew chapter 7. Three verses. Verses that have confused me. When I was a kid, I couldn't understand these three verses at all. It just didn't make any sense to me. But now that I'm older, and now that I'm nearly 70, I do understand it. I've seen a lot in my day. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23 will be our preface to John chapter 10. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I couldn't understand that. I mean, if you're going to claim Jesus as Lord... What is this? I, I, how is it possible for you to claim Jesus as Lord and not get into heaven? Isn't that doing the will of the Father? And it gets worse. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And three done many wonders in your name. I could not figure out for the life of me how can a person can appear to be full of good works and yet not get into the kingdom of heaven. When I put those two together, you call me Lord, Lord, and, you, and Lord, we're doing all these wonderful works. Notice what Jesus says in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I, we have a very good illustration in our country today. And I'm just going to leave it at that once I say this. <clears throat> that there are a lot of people in this country doing humanitarian work. yet are breaking the law in doing it. That's what Jesus says here. I declare I never knew you. It doesn't matter all the wonderful things that you're doing. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I, that illustration alone is very, very helpful for us to understand that the same thing that can happen in a nation can happen in a church, in the body of Christ. Now, let's go to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, and see what we can do with this passage of Scripture. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, or a shepherd of the sheep. And the reason why I make that distinction between the shepherd and a shepherd 
is because the context indicates that there are many shepherds of the sheep in verse 2. But once you get to verse 11, Jesus is the good shepherd. Every other shepherd is an under-shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We have that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, where Jesus is speaking to the leaders in the church, and he says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd them the right way, the way I want you to do it. But remember when the chief shepherd comes, things will be different. In a good way. And so he says, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and heads them and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers." Now, the actual cultural background of this passage of Scripture is you would think that Jesus is talking about the, the job, the occupation of tending sheep, taking care of sheep. He talks about the sheepfold. He implies the, the, the evening when you bring the sheep into the fold to keep them safe overnight. He implies in this story that during the day you take them out and give them pasture. And that's all there is to it. And some people who don't know the Bible very well would say, well, that's a nice lesson. Jesus knows how sheep are to be taken care of. But notice in verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. You see, because he's using this as an illustration of something else. It's kind of like a parable. It's certainly a metaphor, you say. And what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about something of a spiritual nature rather than the physical job of actually taking care of sheep. You'll remember in John chapter 6, just several chapters before this, it's in your daily Bible reading. In John chapter 6, the Bible talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000 with bread. And then he calmed, walks on the sea and then when the people are so excited because Jesus fed them, they're trying to get to him. And uh, Jesus said to them when they finally, finally found him, that you come to me not because uh, of what you saw as far as my, my signs are concerned, but you ate of the loaves and were filled. And then Jesus immediately takes that physical bread and he spiritualizes it. He says, don't labor for the food which perishes. Labor for the food that endures to everlasting life. You'll eat bread and you'll have to eat it again and again and again and again and again. And then he says later, I am the bread of life. If you eat me, you'll never be hungry again. Jesus does the same thing with water with the woman at the well. You'll remember he wants... Uh, he, he's sitting at the well, the, he needs some water, and, and uh, he gets into a spiritual discussion. He takes the water and he says, you know, if you'd have asked me for living water, I'd have given you water that, where you'll never have to come to this well again and drink. So keep in mind, and I know that that's, that's you know, one of the reasons why we preach things that you know. One of the reasons why 
we go over things in God's word that are, you know, you could probably sit there and say, oh, pastor, I know that passage so very, very well. And you're teaching it from a very elementary perspective. Let me tell you why I'm doing that. I'm doing that so that you can go out and share it with others. Because they'll need it from this perspective, I assure you. They'll need it from this perspective. So I'm just giving you an example how to do this. But you'll remember the Mexican baker. When I think of how Jesus takes common, ordinary things and he illustrates spiritual things with them, you'll remember the Mexican baker who, who got up in the morning, baked his bread, and he took a basket and he put his bread in the basket, put all the loaves of bread in the bottom of the basket, and then he put a towel on top, and then he took his Bible and put it on top of the bread and went out into the streets and says, I have bread for sale and I have bread for free. Well, that's what you got going on here. So we need to identify who the sheep are. We need to identify uh, what a sheepfold is. We need to identify the door. And we need to identify thieves and robbers, you see, in this passage of Scripture. Well, the sheep is obvious, right? I don't need to share with you that the sheep refers to people. You know, I could, reserve, I could go back into the Old Testament and I could give you several examples in the Old Testament where the Bible talks about sheep. And uh, we know that when we look at the word sheep in those passages of Scripture, David, David got himself into trouble and he says, Lord, don't, don't punish the sheep. Punish me. Well, we know the sheep are the people of God. In the Psalm 74, we have a great example in Jeremiah 50. You know, the Bible says, you know, the people of Israel are like scattered sheep. But here's the best, Psalm 23. What does it say? Chapter 1, uh, Psalm 23, verse 1. Everybody together. The Lord is my shepherd. Which means that I am a what? I am a sheep. What's the sheepfold in John chapter 10? What's the sheepfold? Jesus says that the sheepfold... He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. What is the sheepfold? A sheepfold is a place where you keep sheep safe and secure, uh, usually overnight, from wild animals. But I would say to you that the sheepfold would, obviously is not, not a physical location, if we're making a spiritual application here. The sheepfold would be, I would say, the kingdom of God or the church. Now, just trust me on that for a minute. If we need to tweak that down the road, we can do that. But the sheepfold would be the kingdom of God. It fits very perfectly well, because if I read this, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the kingdom of God by the door, but climbs up, or tries to get into the kingdom some other way, is a thief and a robber. Makes perfect sense, right? Yes. And not only do I think that is true, but I, I, I second-guessed myself on that, and I went, to, I went to my commentaries. I try not to do that. Because <laughs> there's a lot of reading. And guess what? They agree. They agree. All right, and when Matthew Henry said that, I thought, you know what, that's good enough for me. And so the sheepfold would be the church. 
The door, and let me just say this at this point, the door is the only legitimate way to get into the sheepfold. Because in those days, a sheepfold was, was a wall or, or, or wood fence that was very high to keep the animals out, you see. And so someone, a shepherd, would lay by the door at nighttime in order to make sure that nothing would come into the sheepfold, you see. But he couldn't watch the perimeter. He couldn't, he couldn't watch the perimeter if it were really a large enclosure. And sometimes people would try to get over the fence, over the wall, over the high area, into the fold instead of coming through the door. Thieves and robbers are those who try to climb the wall instead of coming through the door. Now, in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, look at this one more time, because I want you to get this straight. This is very, very important for us to understand. In chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, Most assuredly, I say to you, you don't need to personalize that yet. He's going to personalize it for you later on in the passage of Scripture. But who is he talking to in verse 1? Well, let me just simply say this to you. He's not finished with his conversation with the Pharisees in John chapter 9. And who are the Pharisees? They're the religious leaders of his day. And he's not finished talking to them. And so when Jesus in chapter 10 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he is referring to the religious leaders of that day. If Jesus were talking to us today, he'd be talking to pastors. He would be talking to teachers. He would be talking to theologians. He would be talking to any leader in the church today. And he would say, verily, verily. Or in the New King James, he would say, most assuredly I say to you. Like, listen very carefully to what I'm going to say now. Because what I'm going to tell you right now is very, very, very important. Pay attention to it. It kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul who's very frustrated with the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1. He's frustrated with them because he shared the gospel with them. And for some strange reason, they are moving away from the gospel. The good news of Christ and the atoning work of Christ. And in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul kind of does one of those verily, verily kind of things. Or listen very carefully to me because... What I'm going to share with you is extremely important. He says in chapter 1, he says, and you can, you can sense Paul's frustration at all of this. He says in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turned away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there is some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Then here it comes in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And as if that was not enough and he needs to repeat it, he says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, we have received, what you have received, let him be accursed. What Jesus is saying here is extremely important. He does it about 24 times in the book of, book of John. Very important. Listen up. Because this is critical. Your very life depends upon it. 
He says, if you don't enter by the door, you are a thief. I don't know. You're probably here to steal the food, maybe even steal the sheep, or you're a robber, which means you're going to add violence to your theft, and maybe you're going to kill the sheep. Later, he calls these very same religious leaders strangers. He calls them hirelings. But if you enter the door, if you get into the sheepfold or enter the kingdom of God by the door, you can be a true shepherd. Now, sadly, we live in a day and age when there are lots and lots and lots and lots of shepherds out there who don't know that they are false shepherds. Seriously, I've run across quite a few pastors who don't realize that they're false shepherds. They're only there to steal. They're only there to... Well, let's just, let's just put it this way. They're there to wait. They're, they're keeping food from the flock. They're there leading the flock astray. They're, they're, they're keeping more people out of the kingdom of God by their efforts than you and I can possibly imagine. But I want you to notice what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Now, they don't understand the illustration. The Pharisees don't understand it. And so, verses 7 and 8, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So now we know that the sheepfold is the kingdom of God, or it's the church in our modern way of thinking. And the Bible says that Jesus claims to be the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I like what Jesus is saying here because it's an encouraging thing. Jesus is suggesting to us that sheep can be smart enough not to listen, follow, or heed to false shepherds. I did pull one book off of my library shelf, Expository Thoughts on the Gospels by J.C. Riley, very famous uh, on the other side of the pond. And he is so well known in, in theological circles. And I, I just wanted to read this comment so you wouldn't think I'm pulling this out of, out of the air. Thousands of ordained men in the present day know nothing whatever about Christ except his name. They have not entered the door themselves and they are unable to show it to others. Well, would it be for Christendom if this were more widely known and more seriously considered? Unconverted ministers are the dry rot of the church. And he's not alone. That has been an observation and a reality that we have had to accept for years and years and years and years and years. It's rather embarrassing for someone to come up to a pastor, for instance, and say, how come, how come every church out there isn't preaching the same thing? How come every church out there isn't sharing the gospel? Why would God allow something like that to happen? Why are there so many shepherds out there who really don't know the Lord? They know about Him and they're doing humanitarian work, and they're doing good works, but they're not at all saved. It kind of reminds me of the church. I think this church was, I, I, I can't remember where I got this, this story, but I think it's a church in Scotland 
where the deacon board, they called a pastor to the church. This, this, this book was written back in the 1800s, I believe it was. But they called a pastor to the church. And after about four or five weeks of preaching, they said, um, you know what? The deacon said, you know, this guy isn't saved. We called the wrong guy. He isn't saved. He doesn't know anything about the truth of God's word in the gospel of Christ. And so they, uh, they decided that they needed to stop him immediately. So one Sunday morning they locked the church and here comes the pastor. He comes to the church doors. He rattles the doors. They're locked. He can't get in. And so he goes around to the rain barrel in the back of the church where there's a window next to the pulpit. And he opens the window and he starts to climb through the window into the church. And he says, when I was climbing through the window, the Lord hit me with John chapter 10. That if anybody tries to get into the sheepfold any other way than by the door, he is nothing but a thief and a robber. And he said, I got saved right then and there. I knew about the gospel, but I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. R.C. Sproul has talked about the story of his own roommate when he was, in, he was in graduate school. He went on to other graduate training, but his roommate was going to be ordained and go into the ministry. And he said his roommate came to him and said, he said, you know, they're going to do my ordination examination. And he says, I got a problem. And R.C. Sproul says, what's the problem? And he says, well, he says, they're going to ask me what I think about the resurrection of Christ. What should I do? And R.C. Sproul says, well, tell him the truth. What do you think about the resurrection of Christ? And he says, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. And R.C. Sproul says, you have to tell the truth. R.C. Sproul later said that this guy went on to be ordained after not telling the truth. And guess what? When it's time for him to be ordained, guess who is sitting on the council in front of him? This guy who he knew lied about believing in the resurrection of Christ, asking him the very questions that had been asked of this guy previous. Listen, this is, it's important for us to understand what the Bible has to say. Uh, Jesus is, and, and so let's, let's kind of conclude this now. I want to give you a couple of uh, very important things here to keep in mind. If Jesus says that those who... Uh, those who are his, his sheep, won't follow those who are thieves and robbers, and he calls them strangers in verse 5, and later he's going to call them hirelings. He says they know his voice, just like the sheep. Now, you, you know what happens, you see. Shepherds will bring their flocks into a sheepfold back in those days. Several shepherds would bring their sheep into a sheepfold. And then when they wanted to separate the sheep, when they would take them out during the day, each shepherd would call the names, uh, they would call their own sheep. And the sheep would follow only the shepherd who they belonged to. You're all familiar with that, right? That's nothing new. We're well aware of that. Well, just as sheep would follow the voice of their shepherd, Jesus is saying that those who know me and I know them follow my voice. Look at verses 11, 7 and following. Most, then Jesus said to them again, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, what he does in verse 11, it says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In verse 14, he repeats it again. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by them, and they listen to me. My big question here is, can you tell the difference between a false shepherd and a true shepherd? Can you do it? And if you can, how are you able to tell that? Well, look at verses, go back to verses 3 and 4 for a second for the historical illustration here. The sheep hear the voice of their particular shepherd, and they will not follow a stranger. And why do they follow their shepherd? Verse 4, because they know his voice. As sheep know the different voices of the shepherds and will not follow strangers, we need to know the voice of the good shepherd. We need to know the voice of the good shepherd. Now, in our day and age, that means that we need to know God's word so well that we can tell the difference between messages that are contrary to God's Word. It's kind of like the counterfeiting uh, program in Washington, D.C., where they take all of these people who want to be counter... They want to, uh, they want to, they want to find counterfeit money, and they give them a program for six weeks where all they do is count real money. They do nothing but count real money. That's all they do for six weeks. And then after six weeks, they, throw, they slip in some counterfeit bills with tons of money that they just keep counting over and over again. And it's so easy to spot the counterfeit after you have handled the real stuff for so long. And if you can spot it, you pass the test. Now, here's my question to you, and this is, we're going we're gonna to finish up with this. So if we are to know the voice, and that's, that's application number one, know the voice of the good shepherd, what is his message to us? Well, there's a lot of messages in God's word that Jesus has given to us, but right here in the context of this passage of Scripture is one that is unmistakably clear, and that is in verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Let's look at this just for a minute. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I do what? I lay down my life for the sheep. There's his message right there. And I would say, oh, well, isn't that incidental? No, it is not incidental because he repeats it again in verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me because what? Everybody together... I lay down my life that I may take it again. He not only repeats it a second time, he repeats it a third time in verse 18. No one takes it from me but what? Everybody together. I lay it down by myself or of myself. And if that's not enough, he repeats it a fourth time so that it's unmistakable that the voice of the shepherd is, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I personally have 
will die on the cross to save you from your sin. For instance, at this point in John 10, he hasn't done it yet. But, he's, but he says it several times here. And what, I really, what I'm really suggesting to you is this, that the heart of the message of the gospel and the heart of the, the door, Jesus is the door. If we come through Christ, we need to come through Christ as he presents to us the gospel and we need to accept him. We need to accept his death. We need to receive his gift of eternal life because he died for us. And you say, wow, well, doesn't everybody believe that? No, they do not. Thousands of pastors don't believe that. Thousands of pastors believe that God is, that Jesus is a good person. He's a great teacher, great example for us. But when you ask them if they believe that Jesus died for our sins, they will say no. And, and I want to give you one final thing here that's very, very important here. Just, just look at this for just a minute. In this conversation that Jesus has, in this conversation that Jesus has, Jesus says, listen, my father loves me. I lay down my life. I don't lay down my life because the father has forced me to do it. I lay down my life because I want to do it. And not only that, but God has granted me, the father has granted me the power not only to lay down my life, but to take it back up again. See how much freedom there was in Christ? Listen, there's, real no, there's no real atonement if this was coercion on the part of the Father. But I'm sharing this with you today because I don't know whether you know this or not, but there is a temptation in the church today to, deban- to abandon the truth of the atonement. There's a temptation to do it. And there's three reasons why. Reason number one, because false religion, including the second biggest religion on the world, ridicules us because we have a God who will treat his son in such a bad way, such an evil fashion to force him to go to the cross. When Jesus says, nobody forced me to do anything. Number two, we don't want to offend everybody, anybody. And we want to bring as many people into the kingdom as possible without offending them. And number three, we're too fearful to do it. We're too fearful to do it. But notice... Notice, you see, so the Bible says, you know, the the thief and the robber is a stranger, but he's also a hireling. He really doesn't care for the sheep. Man, when danger is there, he's going to run. If a wolf comes in verse 12, with a wolf comes, he's going to leave the sheep and he's going to flee. And the wolf is going to catch the sheep and they're going to scatter the sheep. There's no commitment. There's no courage. But it's... It's time for me to quit, but let me just give this to you for you to take home. It's in the daily Bible reading this week. If you enter three through the you enter the kingdom of God through the door. There's three benefits here. I'm just going to mention them to you. Number one, the Bible tells us that we will be saved. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be safe. He will be secure. He will be saved from the penalty of sin. He'll be saved from the power of sin. And one day he'll be saved from the presence of sin. And all of us are looking forward to that, right? Number two, the benefit is not only that, but we will find pasture. Look at that. If, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and, and will go out in and out and find pasture. 
You see, because in this passage of Scripture is one of the most interesting passages in all of the Scripture, one of the most encouraging passages, because it's in this passage where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, I'm not, again, just give me one second to do this. Give me just one second to do this. Psalm 23, look at that. Is David facing any problems in Psalm 23? Yeah, the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, he sits down in the presence of his enemies. But David is living an abundant Christian life in spite of all of that, isn't he? He gets to be anointed with oil, and his cup is overflowing. Just take Psalm 23 sometime. Look at it. It's a great example. Over 10 things there that God does for us to give us the abundant Christian life. You and I, and last of all, let me just simply say, we have to enter the kingdom of God through Christ and Christ alone. 